I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. Mm. How are you? Good, how are you? Okay. This is our 70th episode. Okay. Can you guess which episode has the most streams? No. Do you want to try? Mm. Uh, the show? No, but that's my favorite one. Oh, okay. Which I've mentioned before. That's the one with your sisters in the background. Yeah. <laughs> I had fun. The episode that has the most listens is the one about the Oscars. Oh, okay. I'm assuming people wanted to hear opinions about Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. About the raggedy ass shit that happened there, yeah. But then that made me think, did you ever watch Will Smith's apology on Instagram? No. I think he posted it. It's not. It, it was recent. It was recent, but not like yesterday. I think it was like maybe a couple of weeks ago. So I watched it. It's like, it's minutes long, maybe like four minutes. It was interesting. <clears throat> okay. Only because I feel like you know, in general, I don't like apologies just because it's like, well, you did you you did what you did. How can we move forward? Yeah, you're very Janet Jackson and for colored girls that way. Yeah, you can keep your sorries. Well, because it's like we all make mistakes. We all like, I don't think, you know, like when I tell you I don't want an apology, it's because I don't think you had malintention. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, what are you apologizing for? Like, I'm upset you did it. Like, I just don't want it to happen again. But so then it's like, it's interesting hearing him talk about it. Because in hindsight, of course, he agrees that what he did was absolutely not appropriate. Like, that was not the best way to handle that. Um, but things that I found interesting were that he alludes to he he does say that Jada did not ask him to do that, and but the thing that I found most interesting is he alludes to a history he's had with Chris Rock, and I didn't bother to look it up because I don't care. I'm assuming Chris Rock has made light of Will Smith and his comedy, probably, and maybe that's why he has a, a like feels a way about him. But yeah, it. It, it felt authentic. Like, it definitely felt like he, he, what he did was read some questions that people had asked him about the incident. And so obviously he was prepared to answer them, but he wasn't reading off of anything. He was, you know, speaking freely, uh, although I'm sure rehearsed about what he was going to say. But yeah, it was interesting. <clears throat> mm-hmm. I don't care enough to, you know... Like, you made a poor decision, and... Well, he won't be at the Oscars for 10 years. And then, of course, like, I was reading that it's affecting his, like, some work stuff. I I think so, yeah, but that'll all blow over. But yeah, it's it's like, you just... Whatever. But I just thought I'd mention it, since that's our number one. Like Alec Baldwin talking about how he's lost out on... Oh, God. Anyway, you told me about Gary Busey. Oh, I just saw the headline. I didn't read that article. Yeah, yesterday he was um, charged with uh, sex offenses that occurred at some convention in New Jersey, the Monster Mania Convention. Okay. Which was held at a double tree. <laughs> so, what but, was he there for? I don't know, but he's been charged with two counts of fourth degree criminal sexual contact, one count of criminal attempt slash criminal sexual contact, and one count of harassment. So the organizers of this event just released a statement saying that they were told of the incident. They immediately called police. They asked the celebrity who was booked as a guest, so they don't even say his name. They asked him to leave immediately. Oh. Um, But yeah. 
So, so, so Gary Busey wasn't the guest? No, they referred to him as a guest. Oh, oh, oh. Like okay. they didn't even say his name. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So, but yeah, Gary Busey, 78 years old. Oh. Um, I don't, I don't know why I just said that, but uh, I was trying to think, what do I know him from? We watched that film with him and maybe Rogers. Uh, Where he's in the, uh, the Hider in the House. What what is it called? Hider in the House. I would recommend people check out Hider in the House. It's a lot of fun. But what would most people know him for? Uh, well, he was o- he was face. Oscar nominated. I know for the Buddy Holly story. Oh, so that's probably what he's known for. He often plays. Uh, we just saw him play a villain in something from the eighties. Uh, I'll have to look at what it is though. Well, that's all I had to say about that. Moving on, um, I I was reading a, a story that. Um, oh, he's in Lethal Weapon. He's in Lethal Weapon. Yeah. Oh, so People Magazine was talking about Tevin Campbell and how in a recent uh, podcast he was a guest of, he basically confirmed that he's a homosexual. Oh. Which, of course, is no surprise to anyone, particularly because many of us who like R&B music would know who Tevin Campbell is. So that means we know that um, several many years ago he was arrested for um, solicitation. Sure. But um, I, I, I listened to what he said, and I... I don't know. It made me feel happy for him because I can only imagine how difficult it was for him mm-hmm. back in the early 90s being an adolescent and knowing that he probably was gay mm-hmm. and being forced to sing this music that didn't align with his budding feelings and then you know ultimately becoming an adult and then his career after you know his biggest song is Can We Talk and then after that the following yeah, two albums were not hits, but um, you know, then being an adult and just how hard it must be, like you know, people like George Michael and a, a lot of these artists who sing songs that Ricky Martin or Ricky Martin, but then those people enjoyed a lot of success and were able to sort of create a bubble for themselves. Mm-hmm. Tevin Campbell didn't have the resources to do that, so right. he was just out in these streets. But starting in, I believe, like the gosh maybe like 2004 he was on broadway in hairspray and he said that's when he was a, was for the first time around a lot of other gay people and it was very affirming and that he never he was never in the closet like everyone close to him knew when he he came out when he was like 18 or 19 sure but of course the industry said like you cannot especially you're like an r&b crooner like you cannot <laughs> but it seems like he's finally sort of come into like accepting who he is and for some reason I always liked Tevin Campbell beyond several of his songs I like I just always felt probably because we're the same age and Mm -hmm. I just you were watching some interview with him recently and I was struck by I think wasn't he asked his who, musical tastes his are musical. varied he's he's very knowledgeable and eclectic I mean because because uh, he had mentioned Patsy Cline which mm-hmm. I thought was fast because I I don't like country music at all and that's probably the closest I'll I'll get to it but um, that was she was one of the women my mom would listen to a lot and I I grew up really liking Patsy Cline and would agree with that sentiment but based on the analytics I'm assuming most of the people who listen to our podcast know who he is but if you don't um, look him up he has a beautiful beautiful yeah, voice he does. again his biggest song is Can We Talk. Um, but it's funny watching old music videos 
Oh, <laughs> he's, well, so, yeah, he's, so he's so little looking. He's so little. Yeah. But that voice is amazing. Yeah. All right. Uh, we don't really have to talk about Drag Race, except we watched Celebrity Drag Race, and the celebrity to be revealed last week was Taylor Dane. Which we already knew. Which we already knew, because, you know, she has, a very dis- she has distinct features. She does. That, that mouth's a little Carly Simon-ish, but okay. But, you know, uh, she's not known to be... She's a, an amazing vocalist, but she's not really a mover. Because she so, demonstrated, yes. Yeah, because she... Uh, this week's challenge was to do like choreography and she couldn't however the person who won we still don't know we can't tell who they are but they are a phenomenal dancer Mm -hmm. and performer and this guy i mean i'm assuming he identifies as straight with um, he keeps talking about his two daughters and he has two daughters and he comes across as like a dude Mm -hmm. which i find so amazing that like this dude with two daughters um like is on this show doing drag and fucking killing it mm-hmm. and seems to be really like just enjoying the experience. And then for his number in the this last episode, he did uh Show Me Show Me How You Burlesque, I think, which is that song from the movie Burlesque with Christina Aguilera and Cher. And he says that that's his daughter's favorite movie. <laughs> I'm guessing that this person is AJ McLean from Backstreet Boys. Mm. But I think that's a good guess. I, I because of the tattoos, but then the hair seems lighter than what I think AJ's hair is. But he also might be very gray, and so he just colored it. And then I looked up his daughters, who appear to be like adolescent age, so mm-hmm. maybe burlesque makes sense. But I thought, how cool that the dad is mm-hmm. on this show in drag, performing a song he knows his daughters love, and mm-hmm. he did an amazing job. And, why, and he yeah. seems very respectful. Well, he's not. He's not. Like making a lot of excuses for like why he's doing this, he's just comfortable in his mm-hmm. skin, and and he won the we the and then he won the first episode for doing Alanis Morissette's "You Ought to Know." Yeah, so I I'm really enjoying that. And then we watched. There's so much Drag Race. It's, there's so much Drag Race because oh then God. we watched Australia, which the only thing I'm going to say about Australia uh, uh, is this past most recent episode was the Snatch Game, mm-hmm. and one of the queens, Queen Kong, mm-hmm. is of Polynesian descent. Samoa and. Tongan. Yeah. And he did Nini Leaks for Snatch Game. And I brought up the question. I felt a little way about it because I think that you can do a character that isn't your nationality or your ethnicity. Mm-hmm. But it needs like how Bob the Drag Queen did Carol Channing. Sure. He made it his own. He didn't try to dust his face to look lighter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was as black as he can be with the white wig and the affect, and he won. Like, it was great, and I felt like he was respectful of this character he loves. But Queen Kong, do, like, Queen Kong is a person of color, but he's not black, and he was doing Nene Leakes in that way of, like, he's just, he's doing that, like, sort of stereotypical black woman, like, mm-mm, okay, and I thought, like, you're not even doing Nene Leakes. You're doing, yeah. like, a gay white man pretending to be a black woman it's, well, it's like doing a, Nene Leakes. an amalgamation <laughs> of, I got some Tamar out of that, and uh, I don't even, who does Okr? Like, well, it's like Laganja. Like, yeah. Like, to me, it felt very, again, like, white gay men doing that, what they think is a black woman. Like, it's just, it, it was, it, it's bothersome to me. And then the fact that this person of color then chose to do it that way makes it even worse. He's just kind of a very rigid, stiff person. And I'm I impressed by him and his I ability to communicate. I think that him... So I guess my question is, is it... I, I, I just don't think a, a, a woman like Nini was the right choice for him to do that. 
because I, I just, uh, to, to portray her in her essence, which, you know. <laughs> I don't know. It would be like, I don't know. I, he should have done Angela Bassett to me. <laughs> If he was going to do a black woman. I think he should have done Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Yes, actually. That would have yes, been funny yes. as because, like a gay man. Because he references and, you know. And re- he looks like, like he could have easily looked like The Rock. Back in the early 2000s, Dwayne The Rock Johnson would say that he would like to pretend to be gay because of the reaction he would get. Yeah, I mean, he could have done so much. But, you know, that, that, that that's also pigeonholing him because like, oh, so this Polynesian man, his only option is to play The Rock. Is it pigeonholing him like Derek Barry doing Britney? It's like, play to your strength if you want to win. So I don't, you know. My issue is this man doing Nene Leakes and he's not black. And then he's doing her in that stereotypical way of like trying to portray a black woman. And then it it just, and and that wasn't even good. Yeah, he didn't even get the neck rolls and the snapping. He didn't even get that right. So it was like. Yeah, like Laganja would have done that. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like any of these white gay boys would have done it better than him. So that made it worse. And then I just think like, wow, it seems tone deaf because what if that... That'd be like, what if I got up there and tried to be some Polynesian woman? Well, and I got up there eating hot dogs and cabbage and spam and is, like, oh, and had a prosthetic with a big neck and long ass black hair and started, you know what I mean? Like that 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 shit is offensive. Mm-hmm. So it's like I don't think it's any different what he was doing. Obviously, was not the intention. Which is interesting because the entire episode he's talking about race with one of the queens, and then the challenge from the previous. I'm sorry, the previous episode before Snatch Game. The, the challenge he had was like with the white queen and they did a bit on like white privilege and mm-hmm. so it's like he, and he spoke eloquently about it yeah, he's very so then for him the next episode to do this felt like you tripping but moving on then we decided to put in drag race philippines mm-hmm. mainly because one of the judges is someone we recognize jiggly caliente mm-hmm. And the trailer for the show looked kind of raggedy. Sure. So I think we both assumed like this might be fun because it looks raggedy. But I have to say, I was impressed by yeah the production. I was actually impressed by Jiggly's judging abilities. And then the main, well, I was impressed by Jiggly. I think the queens, so it, we watched the first episode and it was like a talent contest. And it was very rapid. They all had like... A minute. Ba- it yeah. seemed like barely a minute. But... They were pretty inventive, and mm-hmm. the ones who performed their own music, some of those songs, like, I could imagine hearing them in, like, Forever 21. Mm-hmm. Like, they weren't the kind of schlock you hear on U.S. Drag Race. I was actually very impressed. The queens were funny. Their looks on the runway were admittedly better than I thought they would be, but not because I don't think Philippines drag is garbage. The trailer was kind of raggedy. Mm-hmm. So, I... And then... Again, not to sound like some stupid American, but it does benefit from the fact that these uh, contestants speak English a lot. Yeah. It's like 50% in English. It's so, like, it, so as someone who doesn't speak Tagalog, it, it makes it very easy it, to watch. It's like, as I said, it's like listening to people speak Spanglish in LA. It's just like slipping in and out of uh, another language of Spanish is like, oh. Because Holland... Was, Holland slips in and out of English Holland too. Speaks, but less, I would say like 25%. Yeah. But uh, Philippines is like 50%. Um, the only downside is the judge, who I recognize. Uh, I used to follow him on Instagram. He's like an amazing makeup artist who does like transformations. Mm-hmm. He looked amazing. Yes. Like, I mean, I would say second to RuPaul. Like, he looked amazing. Okay. As far as transformation and the makeup sure. skill. And I'm assuming he probably did his own damn makeup. Mm-hmm. 
But that man can't host. He just he seemed seemed really nervous, and he was looking in the camera and kind of like didn't like averting his eyes, and so I think maybe he'll grow into it. Mm -hmm. But other than that, I was impressed. All right, Um, we have several questions, so I just picked two of them, which. I'm trying to keep a list, so you know, maybe one day, 20 years from now, I'll get through all of them. I don't know. Oh, boy. The first one was, why do I hate Paula Patton? Yeah, why do you hate Paula Patton? And I thought, I don't hate Paula Patton. You said I don't like her, and I smiled. No, It you, was in a video, no, and you uh, said... Dear listeners, anytime <laughs> Paula Patton comes up, there's a litany of uh, remarks made. I'll be honest. I don't like her face when she, when she smiles, she does that Britney Spears thing where it's like her lower, like her mandible sinks in. So the problem is Britney. No, it's it, it, it's layered. So oh God. so okay, I don't like the way she smiles, but let's back up. Mm-hmm. The only movie I can think of her in is she's in a movie where she plays a flight attendant. Baggage claim with Jill Scott. And then she, is she in Jumping the Broom? Yes. Okay. That, that movie's terrible. So I can only think of her in two movies. No, what precious. I don't remember her being impressed. She's the only part I cried out in Precious. I don't remember her in Precious. Okay. And then I know she was married to uh, She's Robin Thicke. She was married to Robin Thicke. She was married to Robin Thicke. Mm-hmm. I, I don't dislike Paul. She didn't do anything. It's just I, I feel like, you know, this is also maybe, it's not her fault, but I feel like Hollywood doesn't know what to do with fair-skinned black women except, like, try to, like, sexify them. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Paula Patton is not inherently a sexy woman. She's beautiful. She's a beautiful woman. But I don't think her personality is sexy. So it's not her fault. She's just working. So I feel like she's more like you know you know who she's like to me? Jessica Simpson. Oh God. Like she's <laughs> like kind of like You're comparing her to all these dumb white ladies. <laughs> she just seems kind of basic and goofy, but then because she's beautiful, they like the She's being presented like va va voom, but she doesn't embody that. So I think anytime I see her, I just get kind of like, ugh. Like she's not. She just there's nothing to her. Sure, she doesn't bother me. But I don't. But I don't dislike Paula Patton. Like I don't. She's not the enemy. So I think it's funny that someone worded it like, "Why do I hate her?" And then you also said it like, "It's it's that I don't like her face and I don't like these roles they give her." But it's, again, I feel like casting people. It almost feels like. Again, I can't think of her in anything besides... Well, didn't you watch the movie? You saw it and I didn't. Was that film Trafficked? That's right. I didn't like her in that. I didn't see that. Again, she's just not... I don't think she has a lot of presence. And then the way she is presented is contrary to like her actual demeanor. And she doesn't have the the ability to act her way out of it. Sure. So it always peeks through. Like, oh, God. For Baggage Claim, I, I haven't seen that since it came up. I remember kind of Jill Scott stealing all the scenes, but... And wasn't there a gay guy in it, maybe? Mm, yeah. Or is Common in it? Maybe that that's one. That sounds Maybe right, that's yeah. what I'm thinking of. Anyway, then the next question is, why don't you like Diane Keaton? <laughs> you? Yes, you. Me, Nicholas? I uh, I don't dislike her. I, oh, so we're going back. So I don't like a lot of the things she's done over the past 20 years. I, I, I just think she's kind of wasted herself and... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I also think she's kind of a loony. Like, learning that she was supposed to be in the Stepford Wives in the Catherine Ross role. She had accepted the role. Uh, and this is according to, Brian, I remember uh, Brian Forbes, an uh, interview with, I, th- I believe with him, um, the director. Oh, and Oh, the, Di- cat, the, 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 the cat just came out of her den. Diane's juju coming to get me. Uh, 
she had spoken to her psychic and said there were bad energy about the script, so she had to drop out. I, you know, I, I don't know. She's fine. Um, I obviously I seem to gravitate towards uh, women of a certain age, uh, as in being interested in seeing what they do on screen. And I don't know. I just think she's done the same thing over and over again. I, I, I do enjoy her in Something's Got to Give, and if I have to rewatch a Nancy Myers movie ever again. It would probably be that one, but uh, yeah, I don't know. She just she just doesn't do it for me. It's kind of like how I feel about you know every decade of who is famous, who I prefer. Like I prefer um, Dietrich over Garbo. I prefer uh, you know Doris Joan Crawford and Betty Davis over Doris Day. Like I prefer somebody edgier, somebody that's got something to say. Uh, I don't know Angelica Houston over Diane Keaton. Anyway. Well, moving on. So, movies that were released that we didn't cover. The first one is Dragon Ball Super Superhero. Oh, is that the Ball. title? Yeah, that's an awful title. Tetsuo Kodama. It's called Dragon Ball Super Superhero. I believe so. That's what that oh, says. I have no idea what this is. I don't know. We didn't go. Mm-mm, okay. Next really. is the Immaculate Room. Yeah, you passed on this. It's starring Kate Bosworth and Emil Hirsch. Uh, neither mm. of whom make me interested in really seeing a film, but it's directed by Makunda Michael DeWill. You were interested in another film of his that was just released like either last week or the week before starring Ryan Philippi and Jim Gaffigan called Collide. Oh yeah, I would have watched that. Which is so funny because the publicists for that are like, oh no, we're not giving this out for review. But I must have received 25 emails about reviewing The Immaculate Room. <laughs> oh, well that makes me want to watch the other one. Yeah, right, that's why I'm like, hmm... Next, The Territory. Uh, yes, National Geographic documentary about... Uh, I, th- I think it's about a group of Brazilian farmers uh, that are kind of, have kind of taken over uh, some land that is inhabited by indigenous populations. But I, that's all I know about it. But. La, uh, next, Three Minutes, A Lengthening. Uh, Bian- Bianca Stichter uh, directed this documentary, which I uh, missed... Out of Sundance, um, but it's a 16 millimeter film. It, it's about a snippet of a 60 millimeter, millimeter film about. Um, uh, I, I think it's set in a concentration camp of uh, it, in a Polish village, uh, obviously during World War II. But that would be something I would watch. But lastly, Delia's Gone, directed by Robert Boudreau. I showed you the poster for this. If we had unlimited time, I would have insisted on watching it. But Marissa Tomei in the poster. Playing like a oh you did she was almost well I recognized her but it was it was one of those where it was kind of leading because I could tell that you were asking me because this person looks crazy as hell but if you wouldn't have done that I wouldn't have known who she was do you know who this is Uh, because she looked like she was indigenous (laughs) in that poster it looks terrible Uh, but it co-stars Stefan James from uh, If Beale Street Could Talk among many other things. Moving on to things we watch for fun. I think these are all you. So you watch something called The Kingdom? Yeah. So Lars von Trier, who you know as a director, he uh, directed two seasons of a a television hospital series with supernatural elements called The Kingdom. The first season was four episodes from 94. The second season was 97, also four episodes starring a, a... a litany of Danish notables and Udo Kier. Uh, Straight out the gate, did you enjoy it? Yes, I've oh. seen it before oh. uh, on VHS. 
but Lars has directed a third season that's uh, five hours in length that's going to premiere at Venice. Uh, so in preparation for that, I'm re-watching the seasons. Uh, so mm. I finished the first one, which is very entertaining and has, it ends on a nice note. But of course, this series, Lars von Trier said David Lynch's Twin Peaks had influenced him to make it. And in turn, this series influenced Stephen King to make his hospital series, Kingdom of Hospital. Uh, okay, then I shot Andy Warhol. From 1995, Mary Heron, uh, which I didn't realize was Mary Heron's debut. I walked in on you watching this, and I thought it looked raggedy. Did it, you like it? I did. Okay. I, well, I like Lily Taylor, who plays Valerie Solanas, the lesbian who uh, shot Andy Warhol, uh, played by Jerry I didn't Harris. know that he had been shot. Yeah. Uh, he... That, so she wrote a very famous manifesto that was published because of her antics and shooting him. Antics. Called, uh, that was called uh, Scum, uh, which was... Fuck, I'm forgetting the name. The, the acronym stands for basically cutting up men. Uh, she she was a, it sounded like, and as played by Lily Taylor, like a very smart, misunderstood person who... Uh, didn't really have anyone to turn to that would be helpful for her. Uh, but I did enjoy that. Well, who I especially enjoyed in that was Stephen Dorff as Candy Darling, mm. uh, who I thought actually looked quite beautiful as Ms. Darling. Uh, and I imagine if this something like this were made now, uh, you know, a cis hetero male would not be cast in that role. But I did, I was fascinated by his portrayal. I thought he did a good job. Lastly, Catch the Heat. You watched this with me. What? Oh my gosh! With um, with uh, the Asian lady Tiana Alexandra. Oh, I highly recommend people check this out. Okay, so Kina Lorber just put it out on Blu-ray. It's from 1987, directed by Joel Silberg, written by a very famous screenwriter named Sterling Siliphant, who uh, wrote In the Heat of the Night, starring Rod Steiger. Rod Steiger, oh, and Sidney Poitier. Rod Steiger stars in Catch the Heat, and Siliphant's wife is Tiana Alexandra. <laughs> it's just, it's a lot of fun. It's ridiculous. Yes. It's basically this like FBI agent. Yes. Uh, the, this woman who goes undercover because there's this like trafficking ring that, it, but really it's like drug trafficking, but they're using these Asian women. All kinds of women. Or all kinds of women. Uh, what they're doing, how they're transporting these drugs is they're convincing these women that they need to get breast implants. So Rod Steiger can make them a star. So they ship them to somewhere. To San Francisco. And then the surgeon... you Oh, it starts in San Francisco. No, yeah, sorry. they go somewhere and then the surgeon is implanting like these uh, implants, but they're filled with the drugs. With heroin, yeah. And then when they get back to wherever they're going they're told that like, oh, there's something wrong with them. We have to replace them. And that's how they're doing it. But some women get sick. They die. Some, you know, one character we hear ends up having to have both breasts removed and they're not replaced. So oh, this no, they, they kill that woman who wants to go to her own doctor before her trip. Oh, that's right. And so they that's mutilate right. her breasts by, by ripping the drugs out. That's right. So, I mean... The pre this, this this movie is silly as hell. Mm -hmm. So, but I think the premise is very interesting. Which is Tiana Alexandra, I believe, is Vietnamese, and they have her playing a ch her at least her the woman she's 
representing Sherrod Seiger as a Chinese woman. And then the man, like her partner, is in love with her. David Dukes, who has top billing. Oh, and he's so unappealing, especially for this beautiful woman. And then there's a scene where he professes his love to her that we were wound, we're wound, we're wound. And then I even made a video, which I might be able to put into the podcast because I think I still have it <laughs> what somewhere. What is he like? If I can, I'll put it right now. I love you for Jesus Christ's sake. <laughs> Yeah, I love you for fucking sake or whatever. (laughs) And then Brian Thompson looking crazy as he always does in the beginning, playing this misogynist asshole that Tiana has to take down. Uh, Anyway, the poster art's fun. The opening of the film is funny. And then her little like whatever martial arts or whatever she's doing is so raggedy but it's funny I would definitely recommend watching it with if, people and alcohol it reminded me if if Tira Satana had, would, had a better handle on acting from a Faster, better handle on acting well Tira if you watch I love Faster Pussycat Kill Kill please watch that movie if you haven't uh, but Tira's line she screams every line she does she shout screams. every line oh it's so good I could rewatch that we uh, need to move on oh but Rod Steiger is so terrible in Catch the Heat with that wig on his little round head. Yeah, I was having a hard time understanding with his hair situation, but either way, he's so unappealing. He seems so much more energetic over a de- or a decade later in Mars Attacks. Yeah, he's uh, well, anyway. anyway. Projects of interest: La Grande Odalisque. La Grande Odalisque. Melanie Laurent, uh, who you've seen in many films, uh, including Inglorious Bastards and Oxygen, recently is directing another film. I forgot to look up. It's probably her fourth or fifth, but she's recruited Isabella Johnny and Adele Exarchopoulos for her latest, which sounds really good. The Bike Riders. Uh, Jeff Nichols apparently is finally making another movie called The Bike Riders. I'm still waiting for Jeff Nichols to make a film as good as his first two uh, shotgun stories and Take Shelter because I really haven't, I, I didn't like Midnight Special. Anyway, um, he's reuniting with his muse, Michael Shannon, and apparently Boyd Holbrook. Wise guys. Uh, Barry Levinson, you know, old school director. Uh, he's reuniting with uh, Robert De Niro, who he previously directed in Wag the Dog in 97 uh, for a film called Wise Guys. Wizard of Oz. Kenya Barris is remaking The Wizard of Oz. I don't know anything about this, but it, 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 I'm definitely interested, particularly because, yeah, for such a notable like black creator mm-hmm. to redo the wizard of oz when there's already an interpretation like a like a black interpretation of that story i i'm very curious to know how he would sort of sure but if you think about the wiz which you know diana ross worked so hard to get that off the ground and for so many years and then it wasn't the hit it needed to be and she didn't she wasn't in another theatrical feature after that uh and, and, you know, I, I think Sidney Lumet is a fantastic fucking director. Was he right to direct The Wiz? You know, th- there weren't any uh, black directors that were able to command the budget they needed because we didn't allow them to back then. So maybe there, maybe there is something. Maybe we can get well, a but, black Dorothy. But, but, that... but that's what I'm asking. Do we know, like, is, is this going to be like... From what I know, that he has access to materials from the original that I think The Wiz did not. Like, maybe storylines and... I don't care for Kenya Bears, but I trust that he... But based on his... uh, I think he's a good writer. Because based off of Blackish and the spinoffs that I've seen, and then the Netflix series with uh, Rashida Jones, I trust that the like he'll handle it in a way that wouldn't bother me but i'm just very curious like 
If it will lean more Wiz or more The Wizard of Oz. I think there are so many interesting things you could do with it. But... I can't think and of then, you know, as a kid, I was, you know, L. Frank Baum wrote Wizard of Oz. There's a whole Oz series. And um, I remember being so happy as a kid discovering Ozma of Oz and the, the Return to Oz. And I keep saying I want to watch The Return. With Feruza Bulk. Yeah. We have it. I bought it for you I years know. ago. I, that, that'll have to be a secret movie. I say that all the time and then I forget what I said. You need to have a list. I know. I'm not good at being prepared. Mm. Uh, lastly, something with Johnny Depp, I think. Oh, yeah. So Johnny Depp, who's uh, starring in an Emmanuel... Uh, no, uh, what's her name? My Wen. <laughs> he's, he's filming a movie right now with My Wen in France. Uh, he is uh, has announced that he will be shooting... He's directing a movie about Modigliani. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Hopefully he doesn't star in it. Do you remember the last movie, Johnny Depp? I like Depp? that name, Modigliani. Yes. Yeah. Do you, know the, do you remember the last movie uh, Johnny Depp directed? No. The Brave, no. starring Marlon Brando, or no. as the the bootleg DVD we own said, Melon Brando. What? Yes, that's the one where it's very infamous because it wasn't released here because of the reaction at Cannes, where Johnny Depp plays an indigenous man. Who, Have I seen it? Yes, you watched it. It's terrible. Oh. Uh, he plays that indigenous man who sells himself to a guy to make a snuff film so he can give his money to family they need. <laughs> you don't remember that movie? No. It's terrible. I kind of remember the... No, I don't. I'm lying. I, I really don't remember. No, actually, no. The reaction to can I think, was very positive, which is misleading. <laughs> okay. Um, unfortunately, there is an entry in the obituary section. Mm -hmm. Someone named Wolfgang Peterson. Someone named Wolfgang Peterson. Major film director. Uh, the only Wolfgang I know is Puck. Okay. This person's more important than that, I think. Or Amadeus. Okay. Well, arguably, he has the, the corner on Wolfgang importance. Uh... Anyway, uh, he's a notable director. You've seen things. Das Boot was a very big notable film uh, of his, uh, but he was a, a in the '90s, early 2000s, directed a lot of Hollywood blockbusters. Why don't you bless us with your favorite films of Wolfgang Peterson? Well, I like his film *The Consequence*, a German film that I know I had on for you when we lived in Minneapolis, starring Jürgen Prochnow. Look up the poster for *The Consequence*. That is such a beautiful, that's such beautiful poster art. I love it. I'll let you uh, know. about this gay couple, um, *Enemy Mine*, starring Dennis Quaid and Louis Gossett Jr. as this alien that can get himself pregnant, uh, and *The Neverending Story*, of course. Okay, I will say the movie poster for The Consequence is quite striking. Yes, but... It, to describe it, it is... Uh, it looks like the same man. No, it's two... It's, two, it's, well, it's, two, it's two white men who look the same. Two two gay white men together who look the same. So yes. it's shocking. But it's like one is... Remember those old school pictures from... Well, old school. Like in the 80s, how you would have your portrait taken. And then in the same picture, it'd be your profile like yes. attached to you. That's what this one looks like, but it's more symmetrical. Mm -hmm. It's actually quite beautiful. Yes, it's beautiful. And I actually quite like that film, shot black and white. Uh, but uh, Wolfgang Peterson was known for... He had a lot of hits after uh, Shattered was not a hit with Greta Scacchi. But In the Line of Fire with Clint Eastwood, Outbreak uh, with Dustin Hoffman. And Wait, Rainey. did you go through your top three? Yeah, but I'm also... You claim to not know this person, but you've seen these things. Air Force One, Troy, where Diane Kruger played Helen of Troy. Uh... He remade the Poseidon Adventure. I still don't know who he is. Oh, okay, but you've seen a lot of these films. Did you go through your top three? Yes. The Consequence, Enemy Mine. And you didn't say The NeverEnding Story. Yes, I did. You did? Yeah. The one about that flying thing? Yeah. He made that movie? The first one. 
and oh, it has wow. that great Giorgio Moroder produced song. song. That's a good song. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to add that to my playlist now. Oh, yeah. Look, okay. up, look up the Giorgio Moroder uh, essentials on iTunes and you will have a great... Well, I know that he's a fantastic, uh, well, pop, pop music maker. Okay. The secret film... Was Joseph's selection. You always try to shade me. No, I think it needs to be clear, though. I mean... You just think you're better than I I don't think that. Well, you know, like when you were talking all unhappy about going places, like... Going places? Was Gerard Depardieu the other week. Oh, well, you know, you were so cranky. I, I like to choose things that I think would be fun to talk about, like I've mentioned before. So do I. Anyway, my original okay. selection was the film Twister. Okay, so that'll be tabled. What What year is that movie? I believe 96. And who's in it? Uh, Helen Hunt and Bill Paxton. Oh. And okay. Jamie Gertz. I thought Pierce Brosnan was in that movie. <laughs> I've been saying I want to watch Twister for years now. You've never seen it? I don't know. What? I don't remember. What do you mean you don't know? Isn't there a movie with Pierce Brosnan in, a, in like a natural disaster? It's like Dante's Peak. I think that's probably what I wanted to watch, but I keep saying Twister, so then I was... I think Dante's Peak is Linda Hamilton, and then there was another Volcano movie called Volcano with Tommy Lee Jones and Anne Heche, which we watched. Oh, I don't remember that. Well, I but we watched that over the Anyway, time. then, uh, so I was fully prepared to watch Twister yesterday, mm-hmm. but then I woke up early, per usual, and I'm scrolling through... Because, you know, I'm, I'm pretty... I'm, I am enjoying our BET Plus subscription, mm-hmm. although I will cancel it once the promotion price Well, ends. we've been watching a lot of Martin. Yeah, I watched Which Martin. is very enjoyable. But, oh, note on that I wanted to make. Watching Martin so successively, God, he was gaslighting Pam. It drives me crazy. Like, he oh, was so rude to her. Oh. It's like, can you not have two beautiful black women because there's going to be sexual tension? It's like why they made Eartha Kitt... Uh, Catwoman. It, you know, that's a good point because I obviously love, obviously because I've said it before, loved the show Martin and have watched every episode. It started when I was in my senior year of high school. But, you know, of course, watching it weekly or episodically versus streaming it and just watching it back to back over the course of what, three weeks now? Yeah. Yeah. The, my biggest takeaway is Martin becomes increasingly more ridiculous. Yeah. And I think it was probably the executive saying like, well, this is what gets the response. Yeah. Like, like yeah. the demographic likes when you're loud and crazy. So he just becomes more and more ridiculous. And then he is so mean to Pam. And it's weird because all the jokes he makes about Pam don't apply. No, because so she's I, beautiful. Because she's beautiful and her hair is laid because he calls her beady bead because he's trying to say that her kitchen, the back of her head the back of her neck is nappy but it's not so i i think that that takes the 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 wind out of the insult and that's probably why they thought it was okay but watching it in rapid succession is it's just uncomfortable well yeah well especially because you have gina not also kind of stepping in sometimes like don't talk to my friend that and way. then how is gina not like i mean there are a few episodes where actually there is one episode in particular where the end of it they're all insulting each other mm-hmm. and defending because, you know, at one point Tommy starts dating Pam. Yeah, yeah. So they're defending each other and then it, you know, it's getting pretty heated and then they storm out. And then Gina says to Pam, like, oh, uh, are we still meeting you for dinner tonight? And they're like, yeah, girl, see you later. Bye. So they're trying to imply that, like, this is just how they get down. Right. But yeah. Anyway, BT plus. So this yesterday morning, I'm scroll, scrolling through BT Plus and I see the poster for the movie Big 50, the Del Ronda Hood story. Presented by American Gangster. 
And I thought, oh, this looks interesting. And then I see that Remy Ma is playing Del Ronda Hood. I have no idea who Del Ronda Hood is. I read the synopsis and I think, oh. And then Tank is in it, the R&B singer Tank. Mm -hmm. So I start it and I watch the first 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And immediately I'm like, oh, this has to be it. Because this shit is ridiculous. <laughs> but um, before we even get started, after watching it, what was your overall thought? Uh, that it's better than some of the bullshit I've had to watch lately. It certainly does feel made for television, but what I was struck by is kind of like the Michelle A story, this, this narrative, this true story of a black woman that, you know, does feel a little bit more warts and all than the sanitized bullshit we have to watch, like about Aretha Franklin or uh, somebody of that ilk. So I, I did appreciate that she's really putting it all out there. Well, then connected to that. So the movie is very similar to like the Michelle A story um, on Lifetime um, straight out of... Com or, yeah. Is that what it's called? Anyway, we review It's one of our podcast episodes. Actually, our third most streamed podcast episode is that film, uh, Dre, Suge, and something. Anyway, yes. yeah. Anyway... Just like that movie, the actual woman, Del Ronda Hood, she is in the film sort of providing narration. So, and it's warts and all. Like, she's telling everything. Very straightforward. Like, yeah, I was hoeing. Yeah, I did this. Yeah. I did. <laughs> but. Yeah, Surviving Compton. Surviving Compton, Dre Sugar and Michelle. Yeah, that's also like, I think it's either the third or fourth most listened episode. Anyway, Del Ronda Hood was a major drug dealer in Detroit during the 90s and early 2000s and then she got hemmed up in like 2013 I believe mm -hmm. but the movie is just like a biopic and it is all of the you know what it feels like it feels like BET plus approached her and said we want to tell your story because you've had a, a super interesting life and she basically gave them like the highlight reel mm -hmm. because every scene is just like a different crazy moment yeah and when you put it all together, it does feel chaotic, but somehow I think hearing Del Ronda Hood speak and actually seeing her and then seeing Remy Ma play her, I actually felt like kind of a warmth towards her. Mm -hmm. And it is wild what she went through. Oh yeah, for sure. Although she is, how we see uh, her is speaking in front of a group of young girls. Well, that's my very first note. So the film opens with Del Ronda, the actual Del Ronda, walking into like a community center or mm -hmm. a classroom that's filled with adolescent girls. Mm -hmm. And when she walks in, all the girls look like, because Del Ronda Hood, her nickname is Big 50. Mm -hmm. I think the 50 refers to her bra size. Yeah, like, she has... Uh, she's a broad-shouldered lady. She's, she's not tall, but she's corpulent. Those are very. Those are bigger than Anita Ekberg's. For anyone who's familiar with the now deceased drag queen Lady Red Couture, yeah, give me Lady Del Red. Ronda Hood looks like Lady Red Couture. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So um, she walks in in a fur coat and her titties pushed up to the high heavens, and you can see all these young girls look at her like, "Oh my God!" And then she sits down and she just starts telling them her life story. And then throughout the film, we get snippets of these girls listening to her. And the visual of Del Ronda speaking. But the film opens just the film opens with her as a little girl at home with her mom. And then we see that her dad cheated on her mom and the mom shot at her dad. Mm -hmm. She didn't kill him, but she shot and at him. And mom is played by Debbie Morgan. And mom is played by Debbie Morgan. Who after that scene, they'll give her this terrible blonde wig. But it's made clear that her upbringing was volatile. She spent her childhood living with her grandmother, like with her mom in her grandmother's house. 
she got pregnant at 15, had the baby, started um, selling drugs, but before that was running a brothel, got hooked up with this man, had more kids. She got in trouble with the law a couple of times and then finally got in trouble uh, for selling like a kilo to someone in a... Like she got hemmed up, yeah. did two years in a state prison. She talks about how hard that was. And because of that stint in state prison, she found... Uh, she found religion mm -hmm. and that inspired her to get out the game. And now she just dedicates her time to being a positive influence. And I thought her story was pretty remarkable. And, uh, yeah. I, so some things I wrote down were particularly the scenes earlier in the film are pretty laughable. Like the opening scene when the mom is shooting at the dad. I mean, that is like out of like, well, I mean, that could have been a scene from a living color. Right. It's, but, you know, like <laughs> sometimes things happen in life that are so outrageous. I think that depicting them, it, it's like we, our reaction is to laugh because it's just like, this is so outrageous. But yes, how some of it's staged is, uh, yeah. We moved. So, so then we, after, uh. Deborah Morgan, that character, it's not her playing that character, but the mom shoots at the dad. They they separate and leave and move in with his mother. So Delronda, her mom, move in with her dad's mom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that mom has 17 kids. Mm -hmm. So then we get a scene of the house with all these people walking around. <laughs> like that's how they're demonstrating that there are a lot of people there. I thought that was funny, but then it, it turns very dark because one of the children, her uncle is molesting her. Mm -hmm. So it gets dark very quickly. But hearing Del Ronda speak of, so like you mentioned, it's interesting because the quality of the film and the acting is a little crunchy sometimes. Although I think once we hit Remy Ma. Once we get to Remy Ma, it, it kind of has a nice energy about it. Then I think, I think I the performances are quite good. It, the, the production value is not where I would like it to be, but you had mentioned as we were watching it towards the end that, had a better director taken this project on, I think Remy Ma could have really... This movie could have been quite good because I think Remy Ma does a good job. Mm -hmm. And she's giving energy of like this grand lady who's in, like a boss. Oh yeah, like her performance I think is pretty good. I yeah. Think, I think with a, a better script, yeah, and a, a stronger director, I think she... That could have been an awards-worthy performance. But before we get to um, Remy Ma, there's a scene where... It's supposed to dem again. This just feels like Del Ronda gave them a list of all the crazy moments in her mm -hmm. life. When she's a young girl, she's running a lemonade stand, and there is another girl in like one of her friends who's supposed to be holding money for her, and she gets to the house, and the girl spent the money. Mm -hmm. And this is supposed to demonstrate, I think, also that Del Ronda does not play about her money. She beats this girl up. And pokes her eye out with a stick. Yeah. And we get the scene where Del Ronda shows up home covered in blood with an eyeball stuck to a stick. Yeah, that was gross. That's the scene where I knew I had to stop the movie. Oh, God. And then I went upstairs and told you, like, I think I need to switch our secret movie for today. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, something the film does that I thought was actually a nice little flourish is to uh, convey to the audience what year we're in. We see these cars. The license plates. And the license plates say the year. I actually thought that was a really cool way to do that. Yeah, I like that too. There's a scene where Del Ronda is not a good mother. 
uh, she just doesn't want to be a mom. There's a scene where she wanted to have an abortion, actually, and her she's mom. She's 15. Because she's only 15, and the mom forces her to have the kid. But at the point where she's like, "You're you're about to pop. You can't have an abortion." Yeah, and then she <laughs> and then she realizes it's too late to have an abortion because she's like eight months pregnant. But so essentially, her grandmother's raising the kid. But one day, she's like, "You need to take your son to school. I'm not doing it." And at this point, it's Remy Ma playing Del Ronda, and she tells her son, "Like, just give me 10 more minutes. I need to sleep." So her son. Takes the car keys and drives to school. Yeah. Again, I think this woman just, what an interesting life. That all this lady had to do was literally write down a list of all the crazy shit that's happened to her. And it made a 90 minute movie. Mm -hmm. Because there really is not a lot of connective tissue. It's just from one scene to the next. But still, I was very engaged throughout. Mm -hmm. Um. One thing is made very clear is that Del Ronda will pistol whip someone in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah. I There's think. a scene where they're in like a fancy dress shop. That's very pretty woman. It's very pretty woman. And it was kind of a fun scene because it's because at this point, uh, Del Ronda's making money, honey. Mm-hmm. And so her and her two best friends. Uh, Melanie, played by Pretty V, is one of them. Who I thought were really fun. Yeah. I thought they were really fun. They um they show up at this fancy dress shop and they're buying Yves Saint Laurent and Gucci and all this shit and they're just Chanel shit and they're just throwing it like I want two of these one of these and Anita Baker is actually- and they're mad because they're like you're helping all these other bitches but you won't give us any attention and the shop girls the white girls like well you're just you're making everyone uncomfortable please calm down and they're like we don't give a damn. And then the shop girl's like, well, that's Anita Baker. And they're like, fuck her. Like, Anita want... Baker, like the woman playing her runs Looks out. nothing like her. No. And Anita Baker's entourage looks so ghetto. Like, it's like... That's Anita... so interesting. But it's like Anita Baker, Anita Baker, who is obviously like an, a legendary person from Detroit. So it makes sense that she would be in that shop. Mm-hmm. But her entourage doesn't make sense. Like, Anita Baker would not be hanging with those people. But also, like, this, so this little white girl knows enough that Anita Baker's a big deal, but is also treating these black women all raggedy is like it, you know actually that's a good point but uh yeah when they drop like three bands then she's like oh oh take all the dresses oh, you want take, i'm happy to help you so that was a fun scene um <laughs> then right after she buys all those clothes because the shop girl says like i don't think we have anything to that's your size so yeah. then she's like well give me two of them and then we cut to she had a friend deconstruct all these like Chanel dresses and make her a bigger dress that fits her, which was actually kind of fly. Yeah. But I thought that was a cool scene. Then we get to the point where Del Ronda meets the character played by Tank. Mm-hmm. I think his character's name is Slim. Yes. And he gets her into the drug game. Because mm-hmm. before that, she was doing like hoeing and um, IRS like, tax, like fraud. tax fraud shit, which she did get in trouble for, but not enough to stop her. But then she gets into drugs. And then Slim says, I'll take you under my wing, teach you everything I know. So he just showing her how to bag heroin and she refuses to wear gloves. And he's telling this bitch, you need to wear gloves because that heroin's going to seep into your skin. And she's like, I know all about this. And then we get a scene of her bagging the heroin and she's sweating. Yeah. And he's like, bitch, you about to OD. And then clearly she's OD'd on heroin. I thought that was a really funny That was scene. creepy. Again, it just sounds like from her list of weird mm-hmm. shit. Oh, that one time I was bagging heroin without gloves. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. I never would have known. There's a scene where now she and Slim are like working together and I don't quite understand why he was doing this, but he would go to the like local community center and drop off garbage bags filled with cash. He's trying to give back to the community. I'm assuming he was trying to 
like all these movies where these like organized crime drug dealer type people they want to sort of have value to the community like these russians in west hollywood <laughs> so I, i'm sure that's what it was trying to convey but that was a funny scene because then later on in the film after slim is dead spoiler alert then del ronda shows up to give money to this lady and she doesn't want it because she's uh, she says she's a hoe and a thief. But then Del Ronda says, like, you know, you didn't have a problem with this man, mm-hmm. but then this black woman comes to you and you want to call me a hoe and you don't... How the fuck did you think I got this money the same way he did? In fact, he showed me how to get this money. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was actually a very um, interesting and mm-hmm. kind of meaningful moment. Okay, for anyone who's familiar with, like, 90s fashion, everyone is wearing Carl Kanai. Yeah. To the point where it is distracting. Well, there's some fubu. It's mostly Carl Kanai. When we get to the 2000s, we see a little baby fat. But it's just, everyone's wearing Carl Kanai. It is distracting. And some cross colors. But, and I will say, Remy Ma looks good. She looks really good. She looks real good. The hair, like... The her bra- hair's laid. The Braxton's Her wish. makeup, the, the, the teeth are bright and white. And then her outfits. I, I thought she looked good. Um, then we get to Remy's... Um, Would you say that she's all the way up? <laughs> all the way up. <laughs> um... Then we see that she gets 30 months in prison and then it's in prison that she learns that she has sarcoidosis. Mm-hmm. And when she first says it, as the actual Del Ronda, she's telling the audience watching like, like she's going to describe what sarcoid, sarcoidosis is. And then she goes, just Google it. And I did. And the image that pops and up. And the image is that pops up is this black lady. In a wig, <laughs> holding her neck, being like, ooh, my neck. Looking like... <laughs> like Larry H. Parker got me 2.1 million. Um, so then Del Ronda, we get sort of a mo- like a moment where she's not feeling well. And that sort of weakens her a little bit too. Then one of her best friends marries her son. And that creates some drama. Um, there's another scene, again, another crazy moment in Del Ronda's life where she takes one of her sons to get pancakes every Saturday morning. And this like thug shows up to confront someone else, not her. And, like, they all have to leave the restaurant. But while the son's there eating his pancakes, he has to witness, like, a man get shot. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a good that scene. That was interesting, yeah. There's another scene where Slim, because Slim goes to jail, gets out, and goes up to a strip club. And these guys give him a hard time. And he just goes outside. The two guys roll up on him outside the club. And he shoots them. But earlier in the film, he told Del Ronda, if you shoot someone, like... If you you have to be like serious about your shit. If you pull out a gun, you need to let people know that you shoot to kill. And then he didn't kill the guy. So then that came back on him and he ended up getting shot. Yeah, immediately after that. Like, wow. Um, That's all I have except that, yeah. I mean, I would recommend this movie. I thought it was a lot of fun. I think Del Ronda Hood is captivating, like the actual Del Ronda Hood. And I think the casting of Remy Ma was very effective. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. The movie was a lot of fun. Fun. I agree with that because uh, it, it's directed by Russ Parr. And again, nothing wrong with how this person directed it. It, it feels like it's for the parameters of something for television. I, I think this has the... Well, and BET Plus doesn't have the... I mean, anything that's a BET Plus original is pretty bootleg yeah, I at, think, at this point in but time. But again, you know, like I, I think this is material that ha- and with a performance that had the potential to be something much bigger than it is. Uh, but I looked up Russ Parr's uh, filmography and he did the Bobby DeBarge story in 2019. And when you told me, I'm like, who the hell is Bobby DeBarge? I know James and I know Chico. The older brother. Ain't nobody heard of Bobby. Oh, you know what? Is Bobby the one who had HIV, who was gay? He's the older brother. I don't know. Because there was one of them who was the one who was in love with LaToya. Um, I think turned out to LaToya Jackson turned out to be 
I think gay and died of AIDS. Um, well, I'm definitely watching the Bobby DeBar story. And then there's another movie he directed. But it was Bobby was played by Rashawn Fegan, who is from, from Greenleaf. Greenleaf. But what was the other movie he... Never would have made it, the Marvin Sapp story. And then I was like, who the hell is Marvin Sapp? <laughs> well, yeah. So, but for sure, I'm, for, for sure I'm watching that Bobby DeBar movie. The way that Delana finds um, religion... <laughs> In the hospital, like she just picks up a Bible. She just picks up a Bible and and turns to a random page and reads a, a passage about like. She's like, oh, that hit too hard. Like 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 a, a passage that says like once you know you're doing wrong, like you can't a, keep doing wrong. You, you, you expect to go to heaven. Yeah, basically. And but you know, it, it's sort of like you know, I have an aversion to religion, but I did. It, watching her in that, watching Remy Ma in the hospital bed without her wig and without makeup, looking sick, and like just praying to God, like I. I feel like it's relatable to anyone who's felt like they have, like they're at their wits' end mm-hmm. and they're just reaching for anything. I did think that that scene did a good job. I agree with that because even before that, like when she's having to shoot after Slim dies, she's people are coming to try to, you know, kill her basically, and she's shooting people on her front lawn. It's like that life is stressful. Uh, but and actually, wasn't you know ta- saying it out loud sounds silly, right? Like ha ha. But watching it play out, I, I I think the same thing you just said. Like oh my god, like how hard would this life have been? Yeah, just and this woman is always stressed. And she's out. still here, and she's positive. And um, but her the way she find the deal she makes with God is very much like Graham Greene's The End of the Affair, where um, the woman played by Deborah Carr and then Julianne Moore who is having an affair with a man that says, if you save his life, I'll stop seeing him. <laughs> it's kind of... Well, that's the big 50, the Del Ronda hood story. We have to end, but you are leaving for Venice next month. Oh, Monday. Yeah, we have, we'll so we have one more week of podcast. Okay. Um, is, are you reading anything? I finished Yukio Mishima's The Sailor Who Fell From Grace with the Sea, which uh, was interesting and I uh, would like to read more of him. Um, and then I read Florian Zeller's The Sun. Uh, Florian Zeller uh, is a very notable playwright. He, his debut was The Father with Anthony Hopkins, which you liked. Oh, yeah. So, so he's a trilogy, The Father, The Mother, and The Son. The Mother has been performed on stage by Isabelle Huppert. Uh, but The Son is going to be in Venice, so that's why I read the play. It was okay, interesting. Uh, I'll share I'll have more thoughts on that later when it comes out. And now I'm reading Liar Mouth by John Waters. And then, uh, what are you're leaving us with a quote? Oh, uh, it's by Mishima. Uh, True beauty is something that attacks, overpowers, robs, and finally destroys. Well, that explains my behavior. The, <laughs> you know, he killed himself. He committed public seppuku. So you agree I'm a true beauty? You are, definitely. Yeah, right. Okay. Anything else? Well, I, I got my ring on it. I don't know. No. No, you know what I should have said? You don't even like me. Mm, okay. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Thank <laughs> you.